Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive religious community deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. It's so good to see you all. Thanks for coming. And for those of you who are with us on Zoom, it's so good that you are here as well. It's always a joy to get together in any and all of the ways that we can together. I'm going to tell you that yesterday, the church was full. Yesterday morning, this place was totally bustling. Some of you were here for it. The Christmas pageant rehearsal was happening here in the sanctuary with all of the kids and their grown-ups learning their parts and figuring out how things are going to work uh, this week for Christmas Eve pageant. And then downstairs in the social hall, the choir and the musicians were rehearsing, getting ready to come upstairs immediately after the pageant rehearsal and record a beautiful piece that we're going to be using in the service on January 2nd. So the place was full of energy and kiddos in costumes, uh, everything from the cow to the bear to the angel wings and I think we got most of them, but there's always some feathers that get left behind. So if you see little white feathers around or little bits of costumes, that is just how it is for the next two weeks. Because when you have that much energy and joy and that many costumes in a space, it's bound to be that way. And I wanted to tell you that from my perch up here, while the pageant rehearsal was happening, I got to see some really beautiful things unfold that reminded me exactly who we are as a congregation. So I got to see a brand new narrator who had never even experienced the Christmas pageant before, paired up with narr another narrator who has been doing this pageant since birth, I think, and watched the one teenager who has been through it a million times coach the brand new teenager right up here. I got to see all the adults who were taking care of the kids really get in there and work together to try and figure out how to help the kids feel comfortable doing what is a little nerve-wracking when you're little or big being up in front of people. And I would see how there would be an adult back there, an adult here, an adult here, catching the kids from point to point, and everybody figuring out how it was going to work together. And here we are doing all of this, you know, in an age and a time when folks are nervous and excited and so glad to be able to be together in all of the ways that they can. And here we are together telling and retelling an ever-evolving story about a child being born, a light of love in the world, a child who will shake everything up and keep us centered on love. And I will tell you that the Christmas pageant rehearsal is the moment that really brings the holidays around for me. It's the moment where I see everybody working together, where we start singing the songs, where I see people jumping in to help at the last minute. And I will say that over on the piano bench with Franco supporting the choir downstairs, we had the retiring First Unitarian Society music director playing piano for us. We had Amy leading the music for us and the songs. People just jumping in to get what needs to be done, done. And to me, that is the spirit of the holidays here whether it's celebrating solstice or celebrating Christmas or marking the turning of the new year, what I feel in this community is a sense of that community, 
of each of us pitching in in all the ways we can, remembering that we are stronger together than we ever are on our own, and remembering that we are one point in this larger line of the stories that have been told generation after generation. And here we are as it goes past to present to evolving into the future. Here we are, one in that line, immersing ourselves in the spirit of love. And whenever we gather, we remember that the land we are on here in Minneapolis and likely wherever you are on Zoom with us too, the land holds the stories, stories of generations, stories of suffering and resilience and creativity, the pain of genocide and stolen land and stolen lives. And together we commit to learning and telling the multiple stories of the land, of learning and telling our shared history, and to creating a present and a future that leads us toward love and justice for everyone. I want to remind us that for the next two Sundays, so December 26th and January 2nd, we're going to be online only at 10 a.m. for our services. Now, this is because we have some final work that needs to happen here in the sanctuary with some new lighting and audiovisual equipment, and it's a good time for us to take care of that all at once. So the next two Sundays will be online only at 10 a.m. And then there are a number of opportunities to join us throughout the week as well. On Tuesday uh, at 10 a.m., we'll be celebrating the life of our Minister Emeritus, John Cummins. 10 a.m. here in the sanctuary and also online, an opportunity for us to join together and remember him and carry his message and his vision of a world of peace and justice forward. Also, Tuesday evening at 7 p.m., there'll be a solstice service online only. Seven o'clock, Reverend Karen Hutt is gonna lead that service. And you can also find an at-home version of a solstice ritual that was created last year available on our website if you want to celebrate on your own or with a smaller group uh, at home. Then we get to Christmas Eve. We'll have a pageant at 4 p.m. with our children and then a candlelight service at 9.30 p.m. Both of those are in person and online. So we hope you'll join us any of the ways that feel comfortable and right for you. So. Let's arrive all the way here. I'm going to invite us into the practice that has become part of our regular ritual together, which is the practice of three on-purpose breaths. So for me, I am rooting my feet in the floor, taking a moment to arrive in my body. And if you'd like, you can join me in these three on-purpose breaths. A chance to breathe in and breathe out. To breathe in and breathe out. And once more at your own pace. And it's from this space of connection across time, across space, across location. We connect with each other, and we share together in the words of our covenant, our chalice lighting. If you know these words, I invite you to say them with me. If you don't know them yet, I invite you to let them just wash over you. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another.
I have a story that I'd like to share with you this, this morning. So I invite you to settle in, to get comfortable. See where the words of this story take you. The story is called, Somebody Loves You, Mr. Hatch. Mr. Hatch was tall and thin, and he did not smile. Every morning, at 6.30 sharp, he would leave his brick house and walk eight blocks to the shoelace factory where he worked. At lunchtime, he would sit alone in a corner, eat his cheese and mustard sandwich, and drink a cup of coffee. Sometimes, sometimes, he brought a prune for dessert. After work, he would make two stops, at the newsstand to get the paper, and at the grocery store to buy a fresh turkey wing for his supper. After supper, he read the paper, took a shower, and went to bed early. He keeps to himself, that is what everyone said about Mr. Hatch. One Saturday, when Mr. Hatch stepped onto the porch with his dustpan and broom, he got a surprise. A package wrapped in brown paper. He had never spoken to the postman before. Thank you, Mr. Goober, he said. Mr. Goober smiled. You're welcome. I always enjoy delivering packages. Mr. Hatch tore the brown paper off. Inside was a white box, which he opened to find another box. This one was heart-shaped, all satiny red and with a pink bow on top. It was filled with candy. Something fluttered to the porch floor. It was a little white card. He picked it up. It said, somebody loves you. Only then did he remember that this was Valentine's Day. Mr. Hatch wondered and wondered, now, who would send this to me? He was all alone, he had no friends, and yet someone, someone had sent him a valentine. Who? Who? He dusted and dusted, and the dust cloth seemed to whisper to him, somebody loves you, somebody loves you. At last, he flung the dishcloth away and exclaimed, why, I've got a secret admirer. And then he did something he had never done before. He laughed. He laughed and danced and clapped his hands. And then he took a piece of candy and ate it. Mr. Hatch changed his shirt. He found some old aftershave in the bottom drawer. He splashed it on his face. He picked out a yellow tie with blue polka dots and put it on. And then he went for a walk. Maybe, he thought, maybe I will meet the person who sent me the candy. 
Of course, no one had ever seen Mr. Hatch wearing a tie or smelling of aftershave or smiling, so he got a lot of attention. Mrs. Weed tripped over her dog. Mr. Dunwoody nearly fell off his ladder, and little Tina Finn spilled all of the toys out of her wagon. Mr. Hatch waved hello to them all. On Monday, it was back to work. At lunchtime, Mr. Hatch sat in the middle of the cafeteria. He spoke to everyone and passed out chocolates from his heart box. On the way home, as usual, he stopped at the newsstand. Mr. Smith handed him the usual newspaper. I think I'll have a pack of mints, said Mr. Hatch, not, not as usual. Mr. Smith was shocked. Was that you speaking, Mr. Hatch? Indeed it was, said Mr. Hatch. I said I would like a pack of mints, and if you don't mind my saying so, Mr. Smith, you don't look very well today. Mr. Smith recovered from his shock to reply, you're right, I don't feel very well. I have a cold. I was supposed to go to the doctors this afternoon, but the stand has been so busy I haven't had time. Mr. Hatch smiled. Why, I'd be happy to watch the stand for you for a while while you go. Mr. Smith could hardly believe his ears, you would? Certainly, just show me what to do. And so Mr. Hatch ran the newsstand for an hour. And he wondered if any of the people who stopped to buy a paper or a magazine or a candy bar had sent him the mysterious Valentine. When Mr. Smith returned, Mr. Hatch made his usual stop at the grocery store. I am a little tired of turkey wings, he told Mr. Todd. I think I'll have a nice fresh slice of tofu. Mr. Todd weighed the tofu and wrapped it. You look worried, said Mr. Hatch. I am, said Mr. Todd. My little girl is late. She hasn't come home from school yet, and I can't leave the store to look for her until my husband arrives. Goodness, why didn't you say so, said Mr. Hatch. I'll go look for her. And so he walked to school and found little Melanie Todd by the swings and brought her home. Thank you said the grocer. Thank you. Any time, said Mr. Hatch. After supper, Mr. Hatch did not bother to read the paper. He decided to bake brownies instead. It would be nice to have brownies to share the next day with people at the shoelace factory. As he baked, the warm chocolate smell of brownies floated through the neighborhood. Children gathered around Mr. Hatch's house, sniffing the air. Well, I suppose the factory can wait, said Mr. Hatch, as he looked out the window, and he brought out two platefuls. Now, what are brownies without lemonade, he said, and he stirred up a nice cold pitcher. When the parents came to gather their children, they had some brownies, too. It turned out to be a picnic in Mr. Hatch's backyard. He dusted off an old harmonica and played songs he remembered from his childhood. Everyone danced. And so the days and weeks went by. When Mr. Hatch wasn't smiling, he was laughing. When he wasn't laughing, he was helping someone. 
And when he wasn't helping someone, he was having a party in his yard or on his porch. He seemed to have forgotten about finding the person who sent him the valentine. Then, one afternoon, Mr. Goober, the postman, came to his door. His face was serious. Come in, Mr. Goober, Mr. Hatch said. You look upset. I am upset, said Mr. Goober. I made a mistake some time ago. My supervisor is very angry with me. Do you? Do you? Yes, Mr. Goober, what is it? Do you recall the package I delivered to you? The package I delivered to you on Valentine's Day, I think it was? Yes, I believe so, replied Mr. Hatch, beginning to feel a little, a little uneasy. I don't suppose you still have it, Mr. Goober said sadly. As a matter of fact, said Mr. Hatch, I still have the box. The candy is gone, though. Why do you ask? The postman took a deep breath. I'm afraid I delivered it to the wrong address. It was supposed to go to another house. Mr. Hatch recalled tearing off the brown paper. It had never occurred to him to look at the address. He fetched the heart-shaped box and the pink bow and gave them to the postman. I do hope your supervisor won't be angry with you now. The postman was heading down the sidewalk when Mr. Hatch called out from his porch, Mr. Goober, I forgot something. He gave the postman the little white card. Alone in his living room, Mr. Hatch sighed. Nobody loved me after all. Then he read the paper, took his shower, and went to bed early. The next morning at 6.30 sharp, Mr. Hatch left his brick house and walked eight blocks to the shoelace factory. At lunchtime, he sat in the corner by himself, ate his cheese and mustard sandwich, and drank a cup of coffee. After work, he stopped at the newsstand for his paper, but he did not speak to Mr. Smith. And when he ordered his turkey wing from Mr. Todd, he did not smile. Nor did he pat little Melanie Todd on the head, or bake brownies, or have picnics, or parties, or play his old harmonica anymore. Everyone whispered, what is wrong with Mr. Hatch? And Mr. Goober, the postman, told them. We love Mr. Hatch, insisted Mr. and Mrs. Dunwoody. He gave us flowers for our garden. He helped to mend our back fence. Mrs. Weed nodded, I love him too. He saved his bones for my dog, dog Ruffy. Ruffy barked, she loved Mr. Hatch too. Mr. Smith told everyone how Mr. Hatch had watched, watched his newsstand so he could visit the doctor. And Mr. Todd told everyone how Mr. Hatch had found his little girl. All the children in the neighborhood remembered Mr. Hatch's wonderful brownies and lemonade and most of all, his laughter. 
Poor Mr. Hatch, they said. What can we do? Then Mr. Goober announced, I have an idea. On Saturday morning, Mr. Hatch woke to a bright and sunny day. He put on his old overalls and went out to the porch with his dustpan and broom. He couldn't believe his eyes. All over the porch were red and white hearts and pink bows. There were boxes of candy on the chairs and yellow streamers flowing from the ceiling and sticking up out of, out of his mailbox was a shiny silver harmonica. The front yard was filled with people, happy, smiling people. They were holding up a huge sign with hand-painted letters. It said, everybody loves Mr. Hatch. Mr. Hatch dabbed at a tear with his handkerchief. I do believe, he sniffed, somebody loves me after all. And then he smiled. And then he laughed. And then he hurried down to be with his friends. Thank you for that wonderful ministry of your music. Friends, may this music echo in our hearts and carry us into prayer. Carry us into shared silence as we center our hearts as we center our bodies, that into this silence, the voice of love might speak. Sometimes the voice that is love speaks to us directly. 
Sometimes we find a stillness into which love speaks so clearly that we cannot deny what happened and can only follow the voice, knowing that to stray from where love calls is a dangerous and arrogant endeavor. Other times, maybe even most of the time, the voice of love speaks through others. That's why we try to remember to listen with a wide open heart and mind. What if the voice of love spoke and we missed it? Love speaks in many voices. And this week, love spoke strongly through the voice of Adrian Marie Brown, whose words were a blessing and a prayer. And so I share them with you here in an extended quotation. Adrian writes, what I want to share with you today is that this year nearly took me out. It didn't. I am still here. But the simplest truth is that I have been struggling. I am tethered by a close circle and a set of small, repeated practices to keep moving through the days. I want to share in case it helps, especially, especially to those who maybe think I have it all together. I don't. As far as I can see, no one does, nor is that a reasonable goal in this moment. We are living. And this falling apart, stumbling, flying, and feeling is how we live right up until the last moment. I didn't realize I was struggling until I was in the danger zone. I am a highly competent person just trying to live a good life, but it felt like those humbling moments when I have wanted to go for a swim in the ocean and couldn't get past the break. Instead, getting pummeled by each wave unable to find a rhythm, salt in my throat and eyes. It wasn't until someone dear snatched me out of the path of the next monster wave that I realized I was in trouble. I wasn't swimming. I was flailing. I wasn't helping anyone. I was just wearing myself out, trying to avoid my own big feelings and I was in danger. The moment I had a breath in my lungs, I started crying and couldn't stop. For days, for weeks, I kept trying to explain why, and the why was a tsunami that never ended. Every pain that had poured into me, every loss, every disappointment, every fear, everything I had unconsciously been smoothing over as less important than what others were holding, it came out in a wall of weeping. 
I am sitting on a metaphorical sand dune now, still catching my breath. The tears come less frequently, with much more ease. The breaths are deeper. The ocean does not look like a menace. My heart overflows with grief and despair, and all my friends and healers agree that it makes sense to feel this way at this moment in history. I am, we are, suspended between pandemic and climate crisis and sharing the planet with so many death cultists. It hurts. It is okay to be overwhelmed during an overwhelming time. And then she goes on to say, if you are feeling more than you can contain, I just want to say yes to that. If you need to cry, yes. If you can't cry, it doesn't mean you aren't feeling. My therapist reminds me that even when we sit perfectly still, our hearts beat and our blood rushes through our veins. Emotion is that kind of underground river. If you know the feels are there but are struggling to let them move through, or if you don't have people nearby who can hold you the way you need, write yourself a letter of compassion and permission to survive. If you tell no one else, at least be honest with yourself about what you are holding and affirm to yourself that it is okay to feel overwhelmed by an overwhelming time. If it's all kind of breathless and messy and you can't clean it up or make it more palatable or put on any mask other than the one marked oxygen, breathe. Anything that matters will keep until you catch your breath. If you need to land in yourself a bit more, take a break from social media. Increase time spent in meditation, increase time spent in the body. If you need to ask for help, ask as if there is enough love and care in the universe for your needs to be met. Everyone needs more than anyone has to give right now, but also no one can fill those of your needs that you won't let show. I suspect, she says, that the future will be shaped by all that we are feeling in the present. I believe that asking each other for help is self-love, and answering honestly is self-love, and giving what we can is community love. And love is what will reshape the pattern of humanity, even through the tears. I know that. And she closes with these simple words of prayer. I am because you are. I am because you are. Let's follow this wisdom as we share in community the prayers of our hearts this day. I invite you to speak aloud or type in the chat or hold in your heart what you'd like to hold in this gathered community today, what you'd offer up to be transformed by love. We hold the family of Reverend John Cummins in our hearts.
He died last week at home with his daughter by his side, and a memorial will be held on Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. here in the sanctuary and streamed online. And we mourn the loss of our teacher, Bell Hooks. Her work defied description. Her words, her analysis helped us to say yes to ourselves, and her insistence on love helped us to say a bigger yes to each other. Her words created worlds that we needed to imagine a future where we all might live with more dignity, more humanity, and more love. And as we close our time of prayer, we pray that the grip of addiction be loosened, that the weight of oppression be lightened, that joy break through, that truth be told, and that love make every suffering bearable for us all. May it be so, and amen. It is true that this is a time of year when many are celebrating. And it is also true that this is a time when many are struggling. This sanctuary has held great joy recently, and it will again. And it's also true that some of us are just trying to make it through. So it seemed important that we ground ourselves today in what our faith has to say to us when times are hard. As a person who serves this community, I'm, I'm done with pretending that anything else matters more than this right now. This week, Arif and Jen and I noticed how many messages poured in from church members and staff too, reaching out and saying, I'm lost. I'm feeling untethered. I feel disconnected even from church, from my family, from my friends, from myself. I don't know how to find my way back. But I'm writing this email or I'm making this call to you because I wanted you to know that I'm struggling 
or that my child or my spouse or somebody else I care for deeply is struggling. And I just can't go through this for one more day by myself. Arif's words in response to one of the folks who reached out really resonated with me. He said, you don't have to put on a brave face to come here. And I wanna be sure no one who needs to hear that misses those words. You don't have to put on a brave face to come to church. In every major religious tradition, there is a recognition that in the hardest times in our lives, when despair creeps in and wants us to turn away from life and turn away from love, we need our faith to pull us through. We might pray for mercy and relief. We might seek solitude or immerse ourselves in nature when we're hurting. But as Unitarian Universalists, our faith calls us also, and particularly, to trust in the love that connects us to one another. In times of struggle, our faith is tested, of course. Will we remember the words that we say automatically on Sunday mornings here? Will we put into practice the words we sing? Lean on me. Seek the truth in love and help one another. Spirit of love and life. Where you go, I will go, beloved. We listen for where love is calling us next. We are held by a love that will not let us go. Bell Hooks wrote, the moment we choose to love, we begin to move against domination, against oppression. The moment we choose to love, we begin to move towards freedom, to act in ways that liberate ourselves and others. Bell Hooks, who saw so clearly the harms and the scale of the violence in US culture, who was under no illusion about the danger and the enormity of the work, put her faith in a return to love, insisted that by orienting ourselves toward love at every turn, we map the route to liberation. Bell Hooks asks us to choose the kind of love that requires us to really take a risk. For many of us, our cultural conditioning is a significant roadblock. Will we do what the dominant culture points us toward? Will we try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps? Will we deny our suffering, self-medicate, suffer in silence, put on a brave face? Will we lash out or join in the chorus of hate and blame? Or will we do the hardest thing? Will we be a little vulnerable and reach out for human connection? when we feel most unsteady. We still need to wear these physical masks, but the metaphorical masks, they're not serving us when we're hiding our suffering from the very people whose help might save us. James Baldwin 
said. Love takes off the masks we fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. When I was 21 years old, I was kind of hanging on by a thread. I was plagued by shame and fear and isolation, and I needed saving. I found my salvation in a lesbian discussion group on campus. And some weeks as we met there in that warm, small room, we would notice some poor soul lingering outside, trying to get the courage to come in and join us. And we would tell our own stories of how many times we had ridden our bike to the building at 7 p.m. on a Thursday night, only to surreptitiously watch from a distance as people went in and then turn around and go back home alone. It took a lot of courage to come through those doors. If you're circling the building like that, if you're wanting to go in but you're not ready yet, I get that. And I hope that when it's time, you'll take the leap. I hope you'll show up for that small group or sign up to be an usher or join the choir or reach out to me or Arif and tell us about the community you're longing to find or the group you're willing to lead. For certain, our group for BIPOC and multicultural youth needs to get a meeting on the calendar. Probably also, those of us who are living alone right now need to find ways to connect. And definitely, our parents with kids who are struggling with mental health challenges and addiction need a place to find one another here at church. Because church is where we practice turning back to love over and over again. Young adults playing board games in room 207, I see you. I see you doing that holy work. Daytime connection folks setting out lunch in the social hall. The Wellspring group gathering in the Cummins room right after this meeting or this service. I see you metaphorically taking off the masks that we know we cannot live within. You use in recovery, opening rooms at church and online, disabled youth and adults hosting inclusive, accessible gatherings on Zoom, LGBTQ folks in the small group, BIPOC people of color, or BIPOC people in our POCI group, single and solo parents, those caring for tiny humans, folks going through divorce, people submerged in fresh grief. We see you. Your masks are down and you've prepared a spot for those who are still circling the building. This is holy work. I'd bet money that someone else in your church community needs what you need, needs your company. If you're outside, come in. You can make choices about what you share. You can take off your mask as slowly or as quickly as you need to. You might have the experience of being understood and accepted more fully than you could be when you were wearing the mask. You might be relieved to discover that others have eerily similar fears and insecurities 
that you're not outside the circle at all. You might enter feeling broken or despairing about the state of the world. And the compassionate words, the mutual sharing, and the bonds that develop between unmasked people might restore your faith. The ways we show up for and with one another matter. That is the promise of Unitarian Universalism. May you love boldly, and may you know yourself, beloved. Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, and together we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.